Hey, Sam here. Before we get to the show, got to ask y'all a quick favor. If you have a few moments, please fill out a short anonymous survey over at npr.org slash podcast survey. You doing that, it's really good for us. It helps us figure out what you like and don't like about the show so we can make it better for y'all. And if you're a newish listener, we really want to hear from you. All this stuff makes a big difference. Trust me. Again, the survey, it's at npr.org slash podcast survey. Thank you. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week, why Arizona is still counting votes from the 2020 election. And summer movies are back. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So... The last presidential election officially ended back in November of last year. You may recall that very fun time in our lives. And we all know what happened. After a few days of counting votes and watching Steve Kornacki do his thing, Joe Biden was officially declared the winner. We know this. He is our president right now. Biden was president-elect during the insurrection on the Capitol in January. In February, he was for sure the president when Emily in Paris was nominated for a Golden Globe. Emily in Paris. He was president when I got my COVID vaccine in April. Thank you, science. Biden was president when J-Lo and Ben Affleck decided to get back together this past May. I'm so excited. A source tells ET. And in June, while me and all my friends were watching Mayor of Easttown, yeah, Joe Biden was president then And you didn't say anything? Wasn't my secret to share. Yes, it was, Mom. I'm your daughter. Timeline checks out. And yet, dear listeners, and yet, in Arizona... The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors meeting in executive session today to talk about options, if any they have, and regarding the auditing of 2020 presidential election results. Fan chose a Florida company, Cyber Ninjas, to lead the audit. Now, Biden won the state by more than 10,000 votes, but now a partisan audit of Maricopa County's ballots is underway behind closed doors. NBC News political... Well, I suppose that that depends entirely on what your definition of counting is. Um, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That is Jessica Hoosman. She's editorial director at VoteBeat. That's a nonprofit newsroom that covers voting and elections. And Jessica's been following this story for the past few months. So we called her up to help us break it down. So the Republicans in Arizona decided that they wanted to re-audit the ballots only in Maricopa County, which is where Phoenix is and where about 2.1 million ballots were cast. Um, And it has been a total cluster from the very beginning. They hired a firm called Cyber Ninjas to do that work. Stop, stop, stop. Say it again. What is this group called? Cyber Ninjas. Doesn't that just fill you with confidence and excitement? Is there a reason for that name? Is there a backstory? Or is it just Cyber Ninjas? Listen, I genuinely don't know. But what I do know is that the CEO of that company is a conspiracy theorist and has given Donald Trump a lot of fun things to think about while he hangs out in Mar-a-Lago claiming to be president of the United States. And, you know, I mean, it's it's just like it's absolute calamity. It's it's a ridiculous audit. So then you wrote about this and a lot of folks have written about how the count is 
not following any of the regular protocols of like how you count votes. The venue they're using is an event space that has to be cleared out for like Phoenix High School graduations. Congratulations, graduates. So they're grad. They're walking the stage next to the votes in question. What? Yeah, I mean, I the ballots are being stored on site okay. in like a way that I, uh, you know, I mean, there as as far as I know, unless this has changed recently, and I don't think that it has, they're being protected by eight foot tall chain link fence that does not have a top on it. And then the other thing is that for a, quite a while, there was a carnival happening in the parking lot of this step, like this count, which is wow. just hilarious wow. but it's called crazy times carnival and it was like happening in the parking lot so like this is the sort of like very basic stuff that they're getting yeah. wrong wow who are the cyber ninjas who are going through these votes right now what is the average cyber ninja you know they are volunteers like the vast majority of people doing this counting are not like trained staff who know how to do this. They're volunteers who have shown up because they believe that there was something wrong with the Arizona audit. And so the people doing the count have already made up their minds. So it seems as if the hand recount of Maricopa County's ballots should end this week, according to AZ Central. But the inspection of the paper itself will continue likely until the end of the month. This according to a spokesperson uh, for the review. Could this just go on forever? It's going to go on way longer than the end of the month. Really? I mean, like, they've, by the time that they broke, like, and took their pause so that thousands of Phoenix high school graduates could walk across the stage, they had only counted something like a third of the ballots, and they've been at oh, this man. for months. So, like, the concept that they'll be done anytime soon is not accurate like i it would shock me if they were done with this by october you know a group of folks that i wouldn't expect to give up a group of folks called cyber ninjas they don't give up (laughs) i mean i I, I feel like that's inherent in the name right they're just gonna keep kicking (laughs) until they until they cannot anymore so you know i i don't think that this is something that's going to go down quietly certainly okay so i think the larger question is How much of this is a direct result of Donald Trump claiming for months, still claiming, in fact, that the last election was stolen from him? And how much of this is really just an over-the-top manifestation of some parts of the GOP that were already there before Trump? Um, So I think that you know, the premise of your question needs to change a little bit. I think that Donald Trump was an outgrowth of those Republicans, and this is an outgrowth of Donald Trump, if that makes sense. So so the answer to your question is both. Um, So Donald Trump was repeating things that Republicans had been saying for decades, Mm -hmm. right? That the elections were flawed, that we must have voter Mm -hmm. ID, that, you know, any delay on the count of the election, regardless of how legitimate, was bad and a sign of fraud. I mean, by the time 2020 rolled around, he had already primed his audience to like believe that whatever count came out of the election was going to be subject to intense scrutiny and accusations of fraud. And so when those came, nobody was particularly surprised. And I don't think that there is a, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that 
Arizona was the first state to do this because Arizona, we all know, there's like tons of media coverage about this, right? Trump was apoplectic when Fox News called Arizona as early as they did in the night. And he subjected Fox to like a torrent of angry calls and phone calls asking them to redo it. And so that the state that he was most angry about, and not even the closest, right? Like there were states that were far closer than Arizona. And so that Arizona is the state doing this, I don't think is an accident. So at the same time, the 2020 election is being questioned. Still, in Arizona, you've got other Republicans across the country passing restrictive voting laws in several state houses or trying to pass them. Do the bills and this audit, do they stem from the same motivation? Are they all part of the same worldview or two different things? I think it's all part of the same worldview. I mean, I think if you are in the camp that believes that our elections are inherently flawed and you believe that the machines are bad and you believe that vote by mail is bad, then that's kind of all part of the same frame of of thinking, right? Like, well, we didn't like the results of the election, and so there must be something wrong with the system itself and not the candidate is essentially what they're trying to prove. Yeah. So on the one hand, at the state level, we see a lot of action and activity around elections, whether it be recounts and audits or passing new laws in state houses across the country that would, in some cases, restrict the access to vote. But you juxtapose that with D.C. and Capitol Hill and the federal Mm -hmm. government, and they can't do anything about voting. You know, we see Democrats control both chambers right now and have the White House, and they cannot get a voting act through to save their lives. What's up with that? What's going on there? Should we expect any movement on this stuff in D.C.? I mean, I have lost all faith in congressional Democrats to get anything through at this point. I mean— It was clear to me and to everyone that H.R. 1 was never going to get 50 votes in the Senate. So let's pause and say what that is. Yeah. So H.R. 1 is a gigantic omnibus bill that the Democrats have put through that deals with everything from D.C. statehood to the types of machines that you cast a vote on. It is a gigantic, almost 900-page bill that has something in it for everyone and thus something in it for everyone to hate. And it was never going to be smooth sailing for this bill. It takes so much on that the Republicans have said for years that this bill was never going to go anywhere. With this whole conversation, inaction in D.C., lots of action on the ground across multiple states, still large pockets of the country believing a lot less in the integrity of our voting systems. Are you, as someone who covers voting and elections, worried? Oh, I'm very worried. Um, I I think that there is only so far that you can push your base before they stop voting entirely. And I think that that's my, my worry here, is that the Republicans have gone so far down this path of convincing their diehard supporters that the system is flawed, that they may choose to just not participate in it at all. And that is that is a a, a culture that grows, right? That is that's a habit forming thought process. Mm. You know, my thing with all of this is whenever I try to really read into this and dig into this, it's like after a certain amount of time dealing with these stories, 
you can't tell what's real and what's not anymore. Like, do Republicans pushing for this perma recount, do they actually believe there is fraud or do they just see it as a tactic? You know, same question for their supporters. And with these bills affecting access to the vote, is the real concern fraud? Is it politics? Is it something else? And over time, bigger picture, does it matter if you mean it or not? If you keep saying it, for a lot of people, it just becomes real. Right. You know, I think I I have struggled with this for a long time. I think that there are certainly some Republicans who believe this to be true, who are true believers that voter fraud is real. And Mm -hmm. even though there is nothing to support that, they really deeply believe it. Um, But I think that more often than not, the people who are pushing this narrative, who hold state elected office, who work for these think tanks, Uh know that it is not real. But it is an easy thing to wrap your base around, right? You know, voting has improbably become a huge base issue for the Republican Party. Mm. I mean, like, something as arcane and bureaucratic as, like, what voting machines we buy or what grade of paper we're using for our ballots has become this massive political issue. Um, and, And I think that it's because there is a portion of the Republican Party that deeply believes that Democrats are trying to disenfranchise white people and enfranchise undocumented immigrants. And And that's very politically powerful. I mean, that's wrapped up in racism, that is wrapped up in classism and wrapped up in mistrust of the government. And these, for a certain part of Trump's base, are pretty important areas for their lives, whether they've kind of tipped that scale too much and now their voters are not turning out to vote at all because they trust the system that little. I think is an open question, right? Like there's a fine line between saying, I'm going to turn up to vote because Democrats are ruining this system and I need to save it. And the system is already ruined. Thanks again to Jessica Hoosman of Vote Beat. All right, stay with us. Coming up, the movies are back, baby. We preview what you should keep an eye out for this summer and what you can watch in a real theater not just on your couch at home. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI. Being outside is in our nature, and there are more than a million ways to get outside. You can hike up a mountain or down the stairs in your neighborhood. You can roller skate or sunbathe. You can mountain bike or rock climb or paddleboard. You can set up camp or a picnic and eat yakitori or alugobi or pupusas. Is anyone else suddenly hungry? Explore limitless sides to outside at an REI store near you. An internal investigation found that a cop with the California Highway Patrol sexually harassed 21 women. But those findings were kept secret until a new state transparency law passed. We dug through hours of tapes to find out what happens to officers who cross the line. Listen to On Our Watch, a podcast from NPR and KQED. It is June, which means summer movie season is upon us. And as it turns out, one of my guests, he has been living through somewhat of a cinematic situation himself. Bob, how are the cicadas? Are you surviving? <laughs> it's, uh, you go outside the house and it sounds like you're in a science fiction movie. 
It's really strange sounding. It's weird, the crunch under your uh, shoes, but um, it's quite an experience. If there is a thriller to be made about Cicada season, <laughs> and this is to both of you, who should direct it? Uh, uh, Bong Joon Ho, maybe. I, I would. Yeah. I, would <laughs> I would love to see him take that on. <laughs> I like that a lot. I, I've been thinking a lot about Spike Jones lately, so I think I would. I would like to see the being John Malkovich take on this. Yes. Wow. Okay, <laughs> Hollywood, listen up. Listen up. Take notes. <laughs> My guests for this segment, they are two colleagues I could talk to literally all day about movies and pop culture. Guests, tell folks who you are. Hi, I'm Aisha Harris, and I am one of the co-hosts of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. And I'm Bob Mondello, and I'm the movie critic for All Things Considered. I love it. We're going to talk about summer movies, blockbuster season, movies being back. I'm going to have you both offer some movie picks for the summer. But first, I got to ask you both, have y'all gone back to the movies yet? I have. Yeah. Did you attend a regular screening or, or a special critic screening, Aisha? I was at a special critic screening. Uh, I saw A Quiet Place Part 2. Uh-huh. That was my f- my first foray into the theater in over a year. I, I got a little bit emotional uh, because, <laughs> you know, I'd been waiting for this for so long. And it was a great experience. It's the perfect movie to see on a big screen. I, I don't think I would have had the same experience had I seen it on a TV. No, I agree. Yeah. It, it's, it's terrifying in, in a theater. And I tell you, the one that that I was glad I saw with an audience was in the Heights because that Ah. one has a real fellow feeling, right? Whereas in A Quiet Place, you want it to be quiet. (laughs) Yeah. And I also have been pleasantly surprised by these first trickling ends of uh, box office figures. You know, Mm -hmm. A Quiet Place Part Two made $50 million this past holiday weekend. Right. That's a good sign for the movie industry, period, right? It sure is. And and films overseas in places where the pandemic has sort of receded somewhat are doing much, much better. I mean, China has been setting all-time box office records for some of its films. Everyone is ready to get back out the house. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Well, with that, I want you both to offer up some movies that folks should get out of their houses to go see this summer. You each have a pick. Aisha, go first. Well, my pick is a movie that I was lucky enough to see at its premiere at Sundance back in 2020, right before everything (laughs) shut down. And that would be Zola, which is Mm -hmm. based off of the infamous bonkers Twitter thread by a woman whose alias is Zola. You want to hear a story about how me and this fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. This Twitter thread is from a few years back. She basically talked about how she met this exotic dancer, became really fast friends with her, and this exotic dancer invited her to go on a road trip to Florida from Detroit. We just met yesterday, and you're already trying to take whole trips together? Be ready, Batu. And that's when, you know, Things get weird. (laughs) And this film is an adaptation of that story. It stars Taylor Page as Zola, Riley Keough as Stephanie, who is the exotic dancer who brings her on this journey. You also have Nicholas Braun, who you you might be familiar with as Cousin Greg on Succession, Coleman Domingo, Jeremy O'Harris, who wrote uh, the Broadway play uh, Slave Play, is one of the co-writers of the screenplay, and Janixa Bravo directs. 
The talent in this is wild. The movie is wild. It's visually stunning. It had me on the edge of my seat throughout the entire really? uh, experience of watching it. And so I'm excited for people to see it. It'll be in theaters on June 30th. And I think a lot of people are going to be talking about this. It feels like a really great, perfect summer movie in part because so much of it takes place like as a road trip and in Florida. And it just has these like really beautiful, beautiful visuals. It sounds great. And it's also already so zeitgeisty. The day that they announced that they were going to turn this tweet thread into a movie, it was a trending topic for like a day or two. The day they dropped the trailer for Zola, that was a trending topic for a day or two. This might be the first, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first blockbuster or movie hit that came directly from Twitter. A tweet thread yeah. becomes a film. There's been a couple of stories about Zola and the fact that this was new for Hollywood. Like no one had ever adapted. You know, they've adapted things from from articles and from, mm-hmm. you know, YouTube videos and short films, but like never anything directly from Twitter. So this does seem to be a first for the yeah. industry. Bob, which movie did you pick? I loved a picture from the previous Sundance. It is called Nine Days, which is how long you have, if you are a soul in training, uh, to get your act together before you are sent to Earth. Am I dead? I wouldn't say you're alive or dead. Are you the boss? I would say a cog in the wheel. (laughs) It's a really, really compelling film by a new writer-director. It's his first feature. Uh, named Edson Oda. I don't even know where to begin on how brilliant I think this movie is. It's it's really wow. fascinating. I started watching it. If you watch the trailer, and it's a lovely trailer, it will lead you to believe that it's going to be a, an amusing little trifle. And it isn't at all. It is this, it, it's this very deep, profound look at character. These mm. folks are sort of auditioning to be sent to Earth. And if they don't make it, then they don't make it to life. You know, as soon as you mentioned the premise, I was thinking of Pixar's Soul. Exactly. Which is also yeah, me about... me too. <laughs> I, that's, that's, and I, that's kind of what I expected this to be like. Uh, it's, it's, it's really not like that. It's a, a much more profound and much more, more sort of engaging and interesting and... and uh, no shade on Soul. Uh, which is... Actually, that's fair. That's fair. I, let me take it back. It's not more engaging. Nothing could be more engaging than Soul. Um, but oh, it's... Oh, some uh, things could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, just, I thought it was... I thought it was really... Terrific. And, you know, it's one of a whole bunch of pictures this summer that are that are going to come out over the next, like, 12 weeks. And there's some really interesting stuff. Mm. You know, I think the question for so many people as they decide what movies to watch this summer is, do I watch them at home or in the theaters? Because it seems as if now we have the option to do both. I'm sorry. That should not now or ever be a question. You what? watch them in theaters. <laughs> there is no question. I'm sorry. There is no question. <laughs> Movie theaters, theater in general, Broadway, all of that kind of thing, Those. this is a, a different art form. And it's their films are put together to be seen by an audience, which means a number of people, not a person. Um, and I, you know, watching them in, in, at home is not the same. And the ones they're releasing first are the ones that they think are going to just wow audiences. So you're going to get things like, like F9, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a brilliant piece of cinema, but as, as a practical matter, (laughs) it is the kind of thing that you want to see on a big screen with a crowd of people, right? The same is true of Black Widow. The same is true of a lot of the movies coming out and, and in the Heights, these are movies that, that make a lot of sense if you're seeing them on a big screen and make a lot less sense if you're seeing them on a television. 
Yeah, look, I'm I'm always going to second Bob on that that point. But I also want to take into account the fact that there are people who have children, and I'm lucky enough to ha- not have children, so I don't have to worry about that. She said lucky. Into- <laughs> yes, I am lucky enough to not have children. Although for everyone who does, I'm happy for you. But I, I realize how that makes I I realize how that makes going to a theater that much more complicated. So I can appreciate right inexpensive, and so mm-hmm. I can understand why Disney is deciding to release Luca. The, the newest Pixar movie that's coming later this month um, on 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 demand um, because I think there are a lot of families who it, instead of having to you know schlep all the kids and pay you know f- who knows drop a hundred dollars to go to the movies you can pay thirty dollars instead yeah. and I also understand that there are people who might not feel comfortable yet going back to theaters and I want to you know give them those those people the the grace and, and the space to feel that way but everyone else go get your butts yeah. in the theaters yeah. because it, yeah. it, it, I've missed it you've missed it we've all missed it I think alright on that note we're gonna take a break when we come back we are gonna play my favorite game who said that uh, no movie trivia though Aww. I know mm. it's okay it'll <laughs> still be fun the following message comes from NPR sponsor WeWork With WeWork All Access, you can finally leave behind all the inconveniences and distractions of working from home. At the swipe of a card, you can unlock hundreds of nationwide workspaces actually designed for work. And with a month-to-month membership, you can get workspace when you need it, no matter where business takes you. That's smart flexibility. Sign up today to get a free trial for new members at WeWork.com slash NPR. Terms apply. For this next segment, I'm bringing on two colleagues. They are two of the folks I most love to talk with about all things movies, TV, and pop culture. Tell folks who you are. (laughs) I'm Aisha Harris, one of the co-hosts of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. And I'm Bob Mandelo, movie critic for All Things Considered. All right. Uh, Right now, we're going to have you apply your pop culture knowledge and your general knowledge of all things to my favorite game, Who Said That? I believe at this point both of you have played, right? Yeah. Have you? I don't I I don't remember. I feel like maybe with Linda once, uh Linda Holmes, maybe. but I can't okay. recall. Yeah, yeah. Either way, it doesn't matter if you have or haven't or can remember it, it or is, not remember it, it. It is burned in my memory. I I, 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 I definitely didn't get any right. <laughs> okay. The game is quite simple. I share three quotes from the week of news, and you got to guess who said it or what story I'm talking about. I'll give you a bunch of hints, and I'll be bad at keeping score because it doesn't matter who wins because it's fun all around. That's perfect. Shall we? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Here's the first quote. Tell me who said this. During Pride Month, even on Sundays, your chicken sandwich craving can do good. We are making a donation to HRC for every chicken sandwich sold. What corporation said that? Fast food Chick-fil-A? chain said that. No. They, they, oh. I was just going to say it wasn't Chick-fil-A. Because they're closed oh. on Sundays. Right. Um, oh, that's right. Also, they, were, they had a real thing going about sort of anti-pride. Well, yeah, that, I, exactly. I thought it might be And this ironic. is about that. <laughs> this is a fast food chain's response to basically Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich Popeyes? monopoly. Keep going. Keep going. Other fast food chains. Uh, Kentucky Fried. No. Uh, <laughs> the name Started, of their sandwich I, is Chicken. Keen. Oh, bro- wait. Say Burger it. King? Yes. Burger, Burger King. King. Okay. Y'all will share that. <laughs> <point>. <laughs> uh, 
Wow. So, oh my God. See why I'm not good at this. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So that tweet came from the official Burger King Twitter account. They were announcing the release of their new fried chicken sandwich. It is called the Chicken. C H apostrophe. K-I-N-G. As you know, for, gosh, a year or two now, we've been involved in the fast food fried chicken sandwich wars. Chick-fil-A had the classic, but then Popeye's had one and it always sold out for like months. And then it's others, etc. Burger King is entering the fray now with their fried chicken sandwich, but they're doing it in a... In a new kind of way. They are subtly, well, not so subtly, throwing shade at Chick-fil-A. Yeah. You know, Chick-fil-A has gotten in trouble for um, donating to anti-queer causes. And Burger King says, if y'all buy our fried chicken sandwich, we will literally give money to the human rights campaign. Uh, so take that Chick-fil-A. It's a lot. The it back is. and yeah. forth. It yeah, continues. No, <laughs> uh, I don't know who got that first point. <laughs> I think Aisha we'll did. I, I sure was slow on the uptake. Okay. I mean, we both it's were. Okay. <laughs> Y'all don't cover fried chicken for a living. It's it, it's fine. <laughs> Here's the next quote, which I think will also give y'all some trouble. Sorry mm. in advance. Oh, God. <laughs> Here's a quote. It's about a recent TikTok beef. Thank you to the mass of experienced beekeepers, leaders of the beekeeping community, and all of the beekeeping associations who were quick to come to my defense. Oh, shoot. I saw this on Twitter, but it was one of those things where I was like, I don't want to know about this. So I didn't click on it. Um, (laughs) Shoot. Wasn't this involving um, a pop star or no? Not quite. Keep going, though. I feel like you're in the area. Some kind of celebrity? Any thoughts? No, I don't. This is... (laughs) Somebody, somebody eating honey he shouldn't have. I don't know. I, I don't as soon as you say the name, it's going to be. Is it is it a reality show star or no? No, it's another. Just give me the type of person and the title of inf- person. I'm yes, assuming say it's it. an influencer. Say it. Say and... it. Yes, that's. I'll give you the point. That's <laughs> <Okay>. good. <laughs> also, thank you. <laughs> twice now, I've 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 yelled at you both. Say it. Say it. Say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever let me host Jeopardy. Jesus. <laughs> so who who is this influencer? All right. So that Instagram post comes from a very popular beekeeping influencer. Her name is Erica Thompson. She has a bunch of videos on TikTok and Instagram that show her handling bees. And she's a big deal. Um, she has like more than six million followers just from showing her kind of unorthodox beekeeping strategies. So I started scooping bees off the umbrella and putting them into a hive. When bees are in swarms like this, it means they're looking for a new place to live. She's most known for dealing with bees without any protective gear. She's got a long blonde hair just out and about. She'll stick her hand (laughs) with nothing on it into these hives. So with every handful of bees I scooped, I spent time searching for the queen. I repeated this process over and over again. By the time I removed most of the bees, I still had not seen the queen. But after she blew up for like handling bees in the wild with no protection another beekeeper from this la honeybee rescue they accused erica thompson who was also known as texas bee works they said she's fake what? what and there's like this response video saying no real beekeeper handles bees in that way i see you we all see you all of us female removal specialists we see you we know you're faking. So are they CGI bees? I'm confused. Like- Who knows? <laughs> they claimed what? that like 
Erica Thompson's husband helps her stage these fake B interactions. Like, I don't see her using power tools. I don't see her using ladders. Her husband goes in, cuts everything up for her. She lifts it up. It's a mess. That's really Which neither of you have heard of. <laughs> no, not even <laughs> <heard of. laughs> not hearing about it. On the other hand, I, that's a that's a really curious. I mean, I'm trying to think what would what would protect your arm if you were reaching into bees. I, I can't think what would do it. <laughs> Maybe this is just silly. maybe Novocaine. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, Novocaine. Uh, this last quote, I think you'll get it. He's now jinxed. It is a daytime television icon. Here's the quote: "You disrespected my creation, and you were wrong. Not only in disrespecting my creation, but your gamble in what you put in its place." She also said, "We had a nice marriage. It's going to be a Bill and Melinda Gates divorce." Oh, Someone's leaving um, daytime TV. One of the po- most popular figures in daytime oh, TV. Ellen. 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 No, no. Keep going. Already oh, even bigger than Ellen. I mean, bigger than Oprah. Oprah's already left. No. Oprah currently left. on TV. Currently oh, oh, on wait, daytime TV. Um, shoot, it's not. Um, got this. Doc, Ma- yes, Dr. it is. Phil. It. Megan McCain. It's just that. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> um, we are our current TV. version of People's Court. Who hosts that show? Oh, Judge Judy. Judge Judy. Yes. Bob, you almost said it, and then you let Aisha say it. It's Judge Judy. Oh, my goodness. I love Judge Judy. I watch her every day. <laughs> How did every I day? <laughs> well, I, I DVR it, and I have, like, lots of old episodes. And I'm like, I, love D- I love Judge Judy. Not only, and wow. Not only is Aisha a better person than me, but she has a lot more time than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it is always in the background when I'm doing other things. But sure, I do sure, it. sure. <laughs> Uh, So that quote comes from Judge Judy, a.k.a. Judy Scheindlin. She's leaving CBS after 25 years of having her show, Judge Judy, on that network. Uh, She is leaving syndication and daytime television to go to a streaming platform. She's going to make a new show called Judy Justice for the Amazon-owned streaming service IMDb-TV. And on her way out, she said... I don't like y'all. She told CBS <laughs> and all of them, you disrespected my creation. And also for her to say it's going to be a Bill and Melinda Gates divorce. Wow. Judge yeah. Judy is yeah. ready. Yeah. Dropping those those bombs. So that's, that's what she does every day. <laughs> you have to be a nice person in addition to be nice looking, Mr. Price. Because if you're not a nice person, like Bird is, like I am, you end up being a loser. So apparently the reason she left now, finally, uh, she was mad that CBS was moving her show and her programs to make room for Drew Barrymore's much less successful daytime talk show. Uh. (laughs) It's all about (laughs) Drew Barrymore. (laughs) That's hilarious. I love Drew Barrymore, too, though. Have you watched the show? Have you watched her show? Uh, No, I have not. I guess I don't. I guess I don't love her enough. As, mm. Not as much as Judge Judy, I guess. <laughs> no one puts Judge Judy in a corner. Judy, Judy, Judy. <laughs> Goodbye. We're done. On that note, Bob Mondello, <laughs> NPR film critic, Aisha Harris, uh, one of the hosts of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. Thank you both for being here. For being such good sports, I look forward to talking with you both soon about movies and stuff again. Oh wait, but before I go, I have to say officially. Uh, it has been tabulated. Aisha, you won. <laughs> Yay. Yay. I, I, Don't sound I so really, excited. I, well, you know, I had I had some help from, from Sam. <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. Next time you guys will do even better. Oh. Thank you both for being here and uh, happy movie summer. This was a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. 
Every week, listeners share the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag and they do. Let's hear a few of those submissions. Hi, Sam. This is Aaron in Alexandria, Virginia. And the best thing that happened to me this week was the last day of school. I'm an elementary school teacher and I've been teaching in person since last August. I'll have to admit this has probably been the hardest year of my professional life, but this has also been the most rewarding year of my professional life. Hi Sam, this is Jess from Madison, Wisconsin. The best part of my week was signing a contract for my first academic position as a lecturer of music education at Penn State University. I'm Sasha, and the best part of my week was having my first beach day of the summer with some friends. Hi, Sam. This is Deborah from San Francisco, and the best part of my week was walking into a bookstore just on a whim. It felt so good. Hi, Sam. We had the best weekend reuniting in St. Louis. It's the first time these three sisters have been together since we've had a COVID, and it was so wonderful. Hey Sam, this is Shannon from Chattanooga. Since the beginning of your show, I've listened as others have celebrated their adoption days on this segment, and I've looked forward to the day that I could send a similar memo. So now, I'm really excited to say that the best part of my week is that we were able to finalize the adoption of the two wonderful kids we've been fostering for the last three years. It was really a great week. Happy summer, everyone. Love the show. Thank you for all that you do. Bye. Bye, Sam Sanders. Bye, Sam. Bye, Sam. Thanks to all those listeners you heard there, Aaron, Jess, Sasha, Deborah, Jen and her sisters, and Shannon. Full disclosure, best part of my week was uh, playing a bunch of Steely Dan. For whatever reason, it was like playing in the grocery store or the whatever, and I got on this Steely Dan kick, and I was reminded that Dirty Work is one of my favorite songs. I'm a fool to do your dirty work, oh yeah. Thank you, Steely. Thank you, Dan. Listeners, you can share the best part of your week at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself and send that voice memo to us via email, samsanders at npr.org, samsanders at npr.org. And before we close, we've got one last thing to ask of you. We want to know how we are doing making this show for you. What do you like? What do you not like? What keeps you coming back? What makes you turn off the radio or pull out the earbuds? You can tell us by taking a short anonymous survey. It's anonymous, I promise. Go to npr.org slash podcast survey. Again, that's npr.org slash podcast survey. It will really help us out. Be honest, okay? This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Janae West, Andrea Gutierrez, Sylvie Douglas, and Liam McBain. Our intern is Manuela Lopez Restrepo. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. All right, listeners, till next time, be good to yourselves. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll talk soon.